Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Art and sometimes rock and roll Let's do a public opinion poll Raise your hand if you love creative control Cause when Vish is unleashed Well, you... Oh, sorry, I didn't see you there I was just working on a tribute song to my favorite podcast, Creative Control with Vish Khanna My name is Matthias, and I play in a band called The Burning Hell, but more importantly, I support Creative Control on Patreon, and I think you should too. Quality long-form arts journalism is like a magical talking unicorn. It definitely exists, but it can be really hard to find. Fortunately for us, Vish makes it easy with hundreds of funny, thought-provoking, well-researched and engaging interviews with artists from all over the world. Your flexible monthly donation on Patreon will get you plenty of special exclusive treats and help Vish keep his podcast well-fed and cared for properly, the way a magical unicorn deserves. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. Are you ready? Are you ready for the reason we here? Ooh, yes, y'all. Give it up, get pumped for the one, the only, Aparna Nunchurla! Creative Control with Vish Khanna. Aparna Nunchurla is a talented comedian, writer, actor, and author currently based in Los Angeles, California. 
Originally from Washington, D.C., Nancherla has spent most of the past two decades performing stand-up around the world, including appearances on American late-night talk shows. She has also written for Late Night with Seth Meyers and Totally Biased with W. Kamau Bell, and has acted on shows like Space Force, BoJack Horseman, and Corporate, not to mention feature films like A Simple Favor. In September 2023, Viking published a book of her personal essays called Unreliable Narrator, Me, Myself, and Imposter Syndrome. That same year, she hosted an eight-part interview podcast called The Introvert's Survival Guide, which is available on Audible. On Friday, February 16th, 2024, Nancherla makes her long-awaited return to a Canadian stage when she appears at the Rio Theatre at Just for Laughs Vancouver with her new show, Aparna Nancherla Presents, Uh-Oh, I'm Back and I Have Some Thoughts. To mark the occasion, Aparna and I connected for a talk about uh, things like returning to public life after taking a break to write a book. The fact that I did not actually have any time to read that book before we scheduled this conversation at the last minute. Our respective relationships with anxiety and how it may relate to growing up as first-generation North Americans with parents who immigrated from India. Stigma and acceptance surrounding mental health. A joke of hers that one of us didn't remember. Returning to live performances and the internet after a hiatus. Another interview she had to do and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it. And in fact, make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control. This is now my primary source of revenue in life. So if you enjoy the show and like to support me and uh, it, I would really appreciate it. Again, it's flexible. It's monthly. You can change it whenever you want uh and it's i don't know what to say it's just greatly appreciated again visit patreon.com slash creative control to support me and my work today plus in-kind support from the likes of pizza trocadero the bookshelf and planet bean coffee respectively in guelph ontario and granddad's donuts in hamilton ontario this is episode 837 of creative control featuring the brilliant and hilarious aparna nancherla with your host me vish Khanna. Hi, Aparna. How are you? Good. How are you? I am very well. It's a pleasure to meet you. I've been a longtime fan, and it's a thrill to get to speak with you. So thanks for uh, making time for me. Uh, where in the world are you? I am currently in Los Angeles, California. Oh, nice. I know you go. You have been back and forth between L.A. and New York. If I, I'm basing this on your comedy specials and stuff oh, like that. Oh, sure. A lot of <laughs> L.A. and New York material. <laughs> so uh, how long have you... Sorry, is this your second or third stint in L.A.? Is that right? This is my, I mean, if I'm not counting times I've just been out here for work for like maybe, you know, a couple months or something, I, this is, will have been the second time I have lived here. Okay. Now, yeah. as a, a bi-coastal person, so to speak, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> do, you have, do you have a preference? West? East? I think I 
am not supposed to say this, but I am enjoying the West Coast lifestyle. Oh, nice. I feel like New Yorkers would feel betrayed and hurt, but I think I needed something a little slower and more laid back and sunnier, but I feel like my East Coast roots are very angry about me admitting that. <laughs> so if the West Coast people are more laid back, if the vibe is more laid back, do they have a similar kind of animosity towards LA people going to New York and saying, oh, New York's better? I don't think so. I don't think it works the other way. I mean, maybe they do have a feud, but I don't feel like because of their overall temperament, I think the the vibes are much more chill as to the rivalry. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's great. I'm glad you're having fun out there and uh, the weather is nice and all that. It has been a weird winter. Have you been keeping uh, tabs on your East Coast people telling you how weird the weather is? No. I mean, the last I heard it was supposed to snow, but I think that was a couple of weeks ago. But has it been all over the place as usual? Well, I shouldn't really comment. I'm in Edmonton, Alberta now. I'm from Ontario originally. but uh, Got it. Here, Got it. Here, and uh, as we're speaking, it's the first day of February. Happy February. But uh, uh, January was yeah. weird. It was like, uh, do you know Celsius? I, I forget. Sometimes Americans don't. I I know I know what it is. I understand it as a concept. <laughs> so in the swing of like two weeks, I'll just put it this way: it was minus thirty eight below zero, which is oh extremely cold. And then yes. two weeks later, plus eleven in the same month. So like it, it's been very bizarre. And snow, there was yeah. no snow, and then a bunch of snow, and now it's all melting and causing water stuff. Anyway, it's been strange and i wasn't sure if new york had or or la LA has been pretty constant normal is that right yeah we are having a lot of rain today but i feel like this time of year is a little bit cooler as far as la goes but i don't think the weather's been especially abnormal or anything but it does seem like that's kind of the way of things everywhere now where the weather being abnormal is normal yes exactly yeah yes. well i i thank you for indulging in this weather reporting i'm sorry i, did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just wanted I, I just wish i'd been prepped i would have brought more of my weather a game i'm glad you have the green screen and people can't see it you're pointing at the clouds and <laughs> the yes. regions no it's great so uh, i was intrigued by the title of your uh upcoming performance at just for laughs in uh in vancouver um the title is aparna nincherla presents uh-oh, I'm back, and I have some thoughts. This brought a lot of things to mind. There was a period there where I felt like you were kind of omnipresent in my life anyway. You had a record out. I was telling my wife uh, this morning, is like one of the few people that I've seen in multiple Canadian cities in terms of comedy. Because uh, oh. I've seen you in Toronto, uh, once opening for Patton Oswalt, which was very memorable for me. I also saw you once uh, uh, performing at a library in Halifax. Does that ring a bell? Yes, I think I, yes, that's right. I think it was part of a festival, yes. perhaps. Yes, a Halifax pop explosion, yeah. like a, a music and yes. culture festival. So I don't have... There's a few people like that in my life where I've seen them in multiple cities, uh, co comedians, certainly musicians I have. But so I just, and I was just thinking about it. You seem to be everywhere. And then I saw this title and I was like, yes, Aparna seems to have been absent from my life anyway. Where did she go? Can you explain the title, where you've been and why you're back? 
Well, I, for a while, I, I had a book just come out last year and I was working on it for quite a few years. I don't know what is normal for writing a book, but for me, it took, uh, I guess three years all, all told. And I realized that performing while writing it was not really working well for me. So I just took a break from stand up and then conveniently there was also a worldwide pandemic. So I think the world (laughs) in solidarity said, okay, if you're not performing, nobody is going to perform. So then, so then I just took a break from performing for a few years. And um, so this show, like I've been kind of back at it for the past year. So this show is sort of a culmination of, of, of my year uh, in back from a break. Okay. Well, first of yeah. all, it's great to have you back, if I might say. Thank you so uh, much. It is very lovely. I mean, I'm, one of the things I, there's the pandemic, of course, but also social media has, I don't know, uh, it's falling <laughs> apart. And I feel like I used to also keep tabs on your tweets and things like that. Have you been doing less of yes. that kind of stuff? I've been doing a lot less. I feel like when I took a break from stand up, I also just happened to, step back a lot from social media. Like, I think I really was like, I guess this will be my period of hibernation in all senses of the word. And then I found when I came back to performing, I didn't really miss the social media aspect of it. And I know now comedians are always, you know, putting up clips of stand up. like that's become more of a thing, whether that's on TikTok or Instagram reels. And I just have fully missed the boat on that. And I think mm. it's too late and I've drowned. <laughs> you don't think in your return <laughs> return to stand up you may not explore those sorts of things? I think just the idea of it feels overwhelming just to tape all the sets and then yeah. chop them up like just the logistics of it. I'm easily overwhelmed in general and I think just the the tech of it. I mean, I'm sure I could hire someone who would happily do all these things for me, but even that feels beyond my means. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. All this to keep reiterating, you I've just uh, you 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 have been missed. So I'm glad you're you're oh, you're back. Uh, the book you're referring to uh, came out in the fall. It's called Unreliable Narrator: Me, Myself, and Imposter Syndrome. Uh, I normally I will tell you I pride myself on being super prepared for my guests and reading <laughs> all their stuff and watching all their things. And uh, this came as you know, Aparna, relatively uh, this week we established. Yes. So I was like. I didn't read a partner's book and I missed it somehow. It must have been a busy fall. I'm sorry. This is my way, way of okay. awkwardly apologizing for not being up on everything. So I'm going to come into this a bit blind. Can you explain the nature of this book uh, and maybe how it relates to your stand-up? I know you said you kind of compartmentalized and said, stand-up, stop, book. But now that you're on the yes. other side of it, can you? I wonder if you can talk about how they inform one another. But let's begin with the book itself. Can you tell us more about the book? Yeah, well, I, I first of all, I appreciate your honesty in in saying you have not read the book and are not familiar with it because I feel like the book just came out and I've had to do a lot of promotional interviews and I feel like there are several people who did not read the book but pretended as if they had <laughs> well, and that that was always a fun game. One of I will say not to interject. <laughs> one of the things I get complimented on, if I may, is that I seem to actually engage with the work, an album, uh, whatever it is. And at, it usually happens at the end. We stop rolling and someone will say, thank you for actually watching or reading the thing. And I say, what are other people doing? They're like, not that. 
They're not doing that. I'm like, <laughs> no. what are they doing? They're like, I don't know. So I feel <laughs> they're. I'll tell you what they're doing. They're kind of leafing through it as they're talking to you. <laughs> I don't even. If I have a book to read for one of these, uh, they'll send me the book and they say, "Are you ready? Are you ready to talk?" I'm like, "Nope, not done the book. I'll read the book and I'll tell you when I'm ready." And and I feel like yes. they're not used to that. They're usually people are like, "Got? I see you got the book today. I got a notification through the tracking. You want to talk tomorrow?" I'm like, "No." Are you nuts? Like, I have to read the book. And it's a foreign <laughs> yeah. concept. I'm sorry to make this a backpatting. It's not. I feel embarrassed I didn't have your book no, in time. No, yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated. Of, I'm, I'm also just amazed at how interviewers have to consume so much content because they're interviewing so many different people. And then to kind of like have to synthesize the crux of those people's yeah. work in such a short time. I, I should be interviewing you. <laughs> well, you've worked in late night. Uh, you worked on uh, late night with Seth Meyers at least, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's the kind of show and a lot of the bigger shows in uh, Canada here on the CBC or whatever. They'll have like, uh, 50 producers and a host, right? Uh, that's, I'm exaggerating these days. They have yes. th- three producers and a host. And what people I don't think realize is that the host, when they're talking to someone about a movie or a book, may not have even engaged with it at all. Their, their <laughs> people have done it and they've created a question pack. And then they say, oh, so in your book, you talked about a red yes. wheelbarrow and the, the guest plays along. And meanwhile, I'm sure the host is like, good Lord, I don't know. I haven't read this book at all. I don't know what they're going to say. And, uh, me, I can't do it. I, I can't do it myself. And, uh, but I am just one person. And, uh, anyway, back, that's why I'm like, sorry, I'm not ready. I need to dig into the thing. And then, yeah, yeah. that makes me think actually it feels like those, that sort of local, news or that sort of, you know, superficial kind of interview, that kind of almost seems like a prototype for AI because it does feel like they don't, they're just like, which response do I select that is most logical for this input? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and all, you know, just to be a play devil's advocate or whatever the expression is, I do, I feel for some of these folks. Oh, sure. Because they're yeah. just they're like, you've got five people to talk to and exactly. in the next 35 minutes, we're going to get you through this. And so they're saying. Well, especially with like morning news where it's like one person is like promoting their book. One person is furious about foreign policy. You know, yeah. it's just like such different. Vibes you have to too. kind of respect. I respect that uh, part of it, but that's also not a medium I I don't know. I had yes. a meeting with someone not that long ago. They're like, do you want to do a radio show in the morning? I was like, no. I don't. I like a long form <laughs> engaged interview. I would hate to be on that turnstile and yeah. just like, what's next? What's next? I just, that's yes, not how I yes. operate. Sorry. This is a wild tangent about me and I didn't mean it to be. <laughs> I want to focus on your book and it. Oh, right. I, well, I sort of, I sort of digressed immediately, but, uh, the book, cause I was appreciating your transparency and I was trying to segue into saying that yes. the book is also about me apparent trying to be transparent about the fact that I am in a very public forward facing career, but that is actually masking a lot of self doubt and, and constant like self analysis and critique that I'm sure people are aware of because I talk about it somewhat in my act. But, but I think a book allows you to really dig in and maybe a less tidy and, and succinct way than like a stand up joke. Yes. Yes. Or, well, sorry, you think a book is more succinct? succinct? Don't you have... No, no, the opposite. Oh, the the opposite. Like a book allows you to be more messy and long-winded. Yes. So as you engage in a long-form writing exercise like that, uh, you might uh, learn a lot more about yourself than you might from a pithy joke. Yes. Um, 
Can you talk a little bit about what you came away from after finishing the book? Uh, is it possible? Yeah, I mean, I was a little worried in that I know a lot of my comedian peers have written books and, you know, there a lot of times it's like funny essays and they're they're just like fun and it's even more fun to like listen to the audiobook and hear them kind of narrating them out loud. And this book was more be, being not always funny and kind of serious. So I was a little worried about putting that out into the world but it is also i think my natural state is like half trying to make a joke of of being pretty serious so i am happy that i got a chance to really you know indulge that tension i have but i will say the actual process of writing it was pretty grueling and uh i think it is kind of one of those things where I was trying to interrogate my own imposter syndrome and I think look at kind of where a lot of my mental demons have originated and surprisingly or maybe not to most people I feel like when you try to you know interrogate your insecurities they're kind of not happy about it. You were raised in Washington DC I believe. Um Yeah. And uh were your parents are you first generation American? Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to say I'm first generation Canadian. My parents immigrated from India in the mid set or yeah, 70, yeah, mid seventies. I was born mm-hmm. in 77. My point is, uh, there's a lot that maybe I didn't realize. There's a lot that happened and a lot that's gone on and that culture clash stuff and trying to both assimilate, I guess. And, and then when I got to university, realizing that people were like more interested in my Indian side than my whatever mm-hmm. side. Like in high school, I was kind of hiding it. <laughs> like sure. I was like, I didn't really yeah. want to talk about it. Do you feel like your imposter syndrome might st- uh, emanate uh, in any way from the fact that your parents were immigrants and you were, did you have that experience of like kind of having a different home life than you did in school or public? Did you have that? Yeah, I think it, it definitely came from that immigrant uh, outlook growing up um, of, yeah, being kind of stuck between two cultures and having to kind of code switch between them. Yeah. But then on top of that, I was also a really shy kid. So I think that made me kind of feel like an outsider and that I didn't always know how to fit into groups. So it was kind of like that added another layer of like, even when I am with like my more, you know, South Asian peers or, or, more like white dominant group, which was kind of the school system I came up in. I still like didn't quite know the norms sometimes to fit in just in terms of like social, socially gracefulness. So I think that maybe compounded the immigrant outsider feelings. Do you think it's reductive to attribute that lack of confidence or insecurity or shyness or whatever to that Mm -hmm. state that kind of, I don't know, the fact that you're, living sort of two lives and not sure how to fit in. I, I, I worry that I, I think I, so, but, yeah, yeah. but just in talking to like, uh, you know, even like comedian peers, I feel like some of them kind of went out more out with it where it was like, they knew how to make themselves the butt of the joke or like kind of lean into that, you know, clash. And whereas I went like further inward. Yeah. And I feel terrible about it being such a self-immolating <laughs> Indian, like using the slurs so they couldn't use it. I, I, in a funny way, I kind of think of most of my childhood as the eight mile scene where Eminem 
<laughs> does it to himself and then the guy can't do anything. Right, right. And, but, yes. but I also know because of social media, uh, your, your grade school and high school people come back in your life a little bit. <laughs> Or they want to engage with you. And it's happened. It happens. It's happened to all of us. I'm sure to some extent we're like, Oh yeah, Chad. I haven't thought about Chad in 25 years. Why is Chad back? There's a lot of, yeah, revisionist (laughs) history where I'm like, I don't remember you ever talking to me. But my point is like when these ghosts from your past come back, you realize, Oh, they only know you as that guy. Like they would only know me as the guy who made these jokes and maybe made fun of my family life as. A self-defense mm, mechanism, mm-hmm. whereas I've evolved and I've, I love my parents, uh, you know, warts and all. Like it was not easy on some level. Yeah. Yeah. But I wonder, it's, it's a perception thing. Sorry. The other thing about for me growing up, uh, an Indian person <laughs> with my parents was that perception was a huge part yes, of it. Yes. Was that your experience? Yeah, I think maybe that's just like a South Asian cultural thing of like appearances are very important and it's a very, you know, community minded culture. And so I think there's a way that groups kind of monitor each other and like want to all present a certain way or present a certain way to each other in terms of, yeah, maintaining some sort of equilibrium or, yeah. So in your, as we're speaking here, are you amazed we made it out alive at all? Oh yeah, constantly. I mean, I kind of feel, I kind of feel for my parents in that even more with Gen Z, but the millennials too kind of like really latched onto therapy and like really digging into like past trauma. And I feel like my parents' generation kind of gets all the, the short ends of it where it's like you, they get a lot of finger pointing, but then they don't necessarily because they sort of weren't exposed to that early on, don't necessarily get the catharsis that comes with sometimes like doing that work. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm oscillating a lot. Well, particularly a few years ago and she's okay now, but my mother had breast cancer and mm, it I'm just sorry. put, well, thank you. No, she's fine now. I mean, yeah. you go in for the tests and all that stuff, but uh, it was pretty, it was one of those things where the stage elevated within a day and it went from, and wow. yeah, it was just a rough time, but it put us in a very, uh, emotional and sentimental state. And luckily we're, we're okay. But we, that sentiment has mostly carried on the warmness. Sorry. I'll say that in the last five, in the minute, this is going to make me sound like a monster, but I don't used to end phone calls with, I love you. Love you guys. And both yeah. of us do it now all the time. Like that, that, yeah. that little, uh, exposure to mortality for us. Cause we'd been relatively lucky just changed our dynamic. And, um, that's good. But it also made me think, good Lord, I've been so harsh with my trauma dumping on my parents. They, these people came to this country, to Canada, with nothing, literally nothing. And they, they, I remember, I've, I've, over the years, I've heard the story about how when, my, when I was born, my mother's parents flew from India to help. And I was yeah. like, to help? Yeah. What does that actually mean? And it's because they literally didn't know how to do it. And and I'm trying to have more empathy (laughs) as I deal with my own shit. I'm trying to have more empathy for what they came up with. Did you have in this experience or as you ponder your talk about your family and your comedy? Are you do you feel like you're in a more empathetic place to what they were going through? Yeah, I mean, I think just with every passing year, I think also just seeing your parents get older, you really like reframe a lot of things, including your relationship with them and. I think, yeah, just having spent more time thinking about like how traumatic just like 
you know, migration is and being like uprooting your entire life and, you know, kind of starting your community over from scratch, like how hard and incredibly like painful that must have been. And and just seeing that they have a lot of immigrants in many ways, like don't get to fully ever like come to terms with all the like, yeah, like how destabilizing that is for a, any person. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I also, I'm, in that swirl of, of activity with my mother's illness, I developed and was able to identify anxiety in myself. And mm. there were incidents and I had to go to counseling and it just something I think I've just been go, go, go my whole life. And yeah. it's just not something I'd ever, I, it, I, it probably means it was always there. I know you have a relationship with anxiety. You've addressed it. Um, uh, in your comedy, and I again, I'm sorry. I'll read your book. I'm gonna get your book right after this. I'm gonna get one, get a copy. It's no problem. I, no, 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 no. A hundred percent. I'm getting it because I like you. I like your work. And honestly, I feel bad. I'm gonna keep kicking myself about not having your book. It's gonna be a theme. I'm gonna stop now. My point is, uh, what was my point? Yeah. Do you feel? <laughs> where was I going with that? I don't even remember what I was talking about. Do you? I don't know what I was saying. Something about. Uh, I think you were gonna. Say- say um maybe ask how i got in touch with like yes thank you i was talking about anxiety do you did you (laughs) feel like you had was there a moment where you realized that maybe this was something you had been dealing with and it was crystallized for you thank you this became a game show where like guess visha's (laughs) question sorry aparna i I lost my own thoughts do you have a moment like that in your life I don't know if i can pin it down to an exact moment but i know my mom you know grew up like be kind of being a worry worrisome person and yeah. I think I just never t- knew to term it anxiety until later like I think I just didn't we didn't have the language around mental health to be like oh this is actually not just like something everyone deals with necessarily to this degree but yeah for myself it kind of took me a while like I for some reason I was able to like own uh, that I dealt with depression more easily than anxiety and i don't know what that's about perhaps something to work on Hmm. in the next 10 years of therapy (laughs) but (laughs) but i do think i I kind of related to what you were saying about like anxiety sort of does put you in this mode of like go 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 and like you know that was kind of the dynamic in our family growing up is like you know be very productive be useful like just pick up and keep going and so i think anxiety kind of naturally works with that better than depression which kind of like throws a wrench in all the gears so i think Hmm. it almost was harder to parse the anxiety as like this is a bad thing actually or like you don't have to be this stressed all the time yeah that's really interesting and i as you're talking i'm picturing my mother proudly boasting about how she was working and i'm doing it now too these 11 12 hour days of work right and you're right i guess what we are we are we are i am still doing is staving off the anxiety by occupying my time and my mind oh god i didn't know i was doing that (laughs) depression on the other hand would be more crippling i assume i wouldn't even be able to have the energy to stave off my anxiety it's like you right or like you can you know sometimes power through things but then it's like all the work is just in like showing up at all kind of yeah we talked about perception in our culture and how important keeping up appearances is. Was there, sorry to keep harping on this, but it's a significant moment in my life. After my mother uh, completed her um, chemotherapy and all those sorts of things, mm-hmm. 
we were my sister and I don't live there, but we were getting reports, and any time we were around them, my parents, she seemed particularly angry, uh, more angry than we'd ever heard her. And and I said, well, that kind mm. of check that clocks because she's just gone through this terrible experience, and for I don't think it's unusual yeah. for people uh, who have cancer to feel that it's unfair. Uh, in particular, you feel yeah. offended even that you have to go through it as much as anything else. Yeah. But, um, I broached, we have broached the notion of counseling for my mother because the anger was, we felt badly for my father. Um, God, I hope my parents don't listen to this episode, but what the hell? Maybe they will. Maybe it'll help. And there is real resistance to it. There, there, there's still a stigma for some about therapy and counseling. Yeah. Um, when you started to be more outspoken about your anxiety and your depression, what was your family's reaction to that? If you can articulate that. I think they were okay with it. It feels like that when I kind of started facing my mental health struggles more head on, that kind of opened up the conversation in my family about just like how my mom has dealt with these things and my sibling has dealt with these things. And I, I would say my dad is maybe the most kind of resistant to the whole notion of like therapy and working your stuff out in that setting. But it does feel like at least in, yeah, in my other family members, it, we were able to kind of be more open about it and kind of let go of a lot of the shame or like, secrecy that can kind of surround these things and yeah and yeah like everyone uh, like pretty much my mom and my sibling have both like gone to therapy and like oh taken medication so i think that's maybe not the norm in a lot of south asian families but i yeah. feel lucky in that sense do you have a thing where if you you're an older adult there and you're talking to your parents and they say how's it going and you say uh i'm fine i have a bit of a cold or a flu do yeah. you find they blame? Do you find there's this subtext where they blame themselves for, for your the affliction? <laughs> I find I'm not saying that exactly, but huh? they feel like, oh no, something I did oh. caused my child to get whatever. They, I've told this story numerous times. Uh, I didn't get glasses till grade nine, and when I went to the yeah. optometrist, he said, uh, "Good lord, you should have had glasses since you came out of the." you know, you were born like, what the hell? <laughs> Your one eye is like totally messed up. And I was like, oh, my parents took me to this Indian eye doctor in Cambridge, Ontario when I was four. And he said I was fine. He's like, no, you weren't fine. And then I brought this up to my mother. <laughs> no. I said, I can't see the board. I need glasses. And my mother said, Vishal, we don't wear glasses. And I was like, what? what? Who? Who doesn't wear glasses as a people, a family? <laughs> and I feel like it was this denial that anything Whoa. could be wrong with me. Do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah. So I I'm don't know if that's... Think, I mean, my parents are both doctors, so I do feel like there was a certain, like, if we, one of us had, my sibling or I had a cold or something, it would be like, oh, well, it can't be that bad. Like, we see people yeah. way sicker than you all the time. Like, it was almost like a not seeing our afflictions as that serious <laughs> or just like, you know, being like, well, is it really like... You can still walk around. You must be fine. I just wonder if that little bit of denial is them trying to escape feeling uh, a bit of blame for however oh, you are. Like if I right. were to tell them, like, uh, I got a pinched nerve, they're like, ah, shit, did we do something? And again, right. I really hope my parents don't hear this episode. This is too much information. <laughs> but I just think I'm I'm very shaped. I think people who hear this show know I'm... Nego uh, I, 
all these podcasts it's some stupid dude being like i don't know why i'm like this someone help me and then you're the guest you know i don't want to be that and it doesn't normally happen but uh since we're talking about it i'm sorry i hope this is relatively germane <laughs> no it, is. I, it feels like it's all germane okay. i yeah i don't know if that i don't know if it's reductive but i do feel like we're all just kind of walking yeah like you know accumulated trauma over generations and generations yeah and there's a huge strain of people not your father is not alone in trying to suggest we're being soft or i'm sorry i'm putting words in your father's mouth i'm just saying that that lack of acceptance for yes people like us articulating these things in a wide swath is like oh you gen z whiny like whatever and you're yeah. like what no we're just i think we're being raised better like i hope i have two kids and i hope we're not I do worry. Like, I hope we're not uh, doing anything that makes them feel badly later, you know, that sort of thing. We yeah. love and support and all that stuff. But uh, it's just we were talking about it more. And your book arrives at an interesting time in that vernacular. Yeah. In terms of the reception to the book from both critics, I suppose, and people close to you, can you characterize it? Um, can you characterize how people took this? the revelations that might occur in this book that as I've established already, I haven't even read. I don't know if there are any revelations. <laughs> I'm such an ass. I'm so sorry. Can you articulate the reception? From I those? mean, I think the I, I think the sort of point of the book is like a lot of these things we, we kind of maybe struggle with. Like I, I talk about mental health and, um, but also like body image and also like productivity culture, or like how online you're supposed to be like, how all these things are not necessarily issues on which you're ever going to have like a clean set of answers. Like that's sort of the point of the book of just how we're kind of ever evolving and sometimes like feeling like we've gotten to a new plane of like enlightenment, you know, and then like falling back two steps the next year and how that's just like part of being a human is kind of just living these, these battles and being okay with them. Yeah. Felt like sort of the, yeah, overall message of the book. Okay, so in the soil of that, I think you're alluding to what we categorize as imposter syndrome. Are you yes. any better with your? I assume you're talking about your own imposter syndrome. Are mm -hmm. you? Are you any better with it since writing the book? I think I've learned to not give it as much weight. Like I think before it would be like you know taking up all the air, oxygen in my brain, and kind of there would be no option of a different perspective or or way of seeing things and now i realize like it's kind of like we were saying the sum of of many factors that sort of came from my origins and like i i i honor that it's there and that it like has something to say but now i kind of don't you know hold it in the objective truth that i think it maybe originally painted itself as right okay. yeah so you took a break from comedy and mm -hmm. being online to work on this book. Uh, sorry, when did you actually start performing stand-up? I think I first, like I did a set when I was 20, but then I kind of didn't perform regularly until I would say 2006 was when I really started. Yeah. Any breaks like the one you just took um, in that time frame? Since then, not not really. No, nothing so extended. I would say this okay. was the longest one I've taken since I started. Yeah. I want to ask about that break then. 
because uh, for anyone who performs on stage, it's a compulsion on some yeah. level. Uh, you need it a little bit, whether you think that or not, you do. What was it like for you to be away from performing? I, again, extenuating circumstances, uh, notwithstanding a pandemic that prohibited people from doing it as much, uh, you having a project to work on. Did you miss it? Did you long for it while you weren't doing it? I think oddly, because I was writing a book that was kind of dealing with a lot of self-loathing or like ways that I think I make myself smaller. I I think the reason I sort of had to step back from stand-up was like when I was doing it, I was like in a state of mind where I just felt very raw and like kind of not good enough to myself or to other people. So I think it really felt necessary to step away from it at that time. And if I did miss it, it was kind of in a very disconnected way. Like I wasn't really able to be in touch with that more like fun, free side of performing until I think the, until after I took the break. Yeah. Yeah. Performing your thoughts is, that's a, I mean, sorry, for some performers, there's a great deal of theatricality that is fulfilling. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. For others, it's like, oh, I have a really cool thought and I want to convey it. And obviously comedy is a, a sort of marriage of the two things. Yeah. Um, uh, did you actually, I, I want to try to uh, ask this question as clearly as I can, because I think they're so mired together. It's It's maybe hard to separate them. But did you miss expressing yourself as much as you did performing, like being in front of a crowd oh. and actually the theatrical part of it as much as the intellectual? Sorry, I, I feel like I'm being quite reductive in separating these two. No, things. no, I think I I think that's a great question because I think I always consider myself on the more cerebral end of of performer in terms of like I'm not hugely big or or theatrical in in my work but i i do think there is still an element of theatricality to any performance like something about being in front of a live audience or just that like real time engagement that is kind of like unlike just creating in yeah. in a vacuum or yeah on your own so i think that that is the part i miss just that immediate like sort of connection and experiencing something communally that yeah, is like just happening as it unfolds. I, I think I was, I don't know if it was in the Washington Post, but I read an article about you that came out, I think around when your book came out. Mm-hmm. It was fascinating to me to read them quoting um, parts of your act that I was familiar with mm-hmm. because I don't think I'd ever read them uh, before. Oh, right, right. I'd only heard you deliver them. And I would argue, and I don't know how you feel about this, that your delivery, your presentation style that's 75% of the joke in your case for me. Does that resonate? Yeah, I think I think for a lot of stand-ups, they hope that it's like it's also them delivering the joke that yeah. kind of really like, yeah, kind of puts that final final touch on it. Um, I agree with you. Like sometimes if I'm reading someone else's material, it's just not the same it's like yeah i guess it's like an unanimated drawing or something like you need (laughs) yeah it's your attitude i suppose and uh and 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 this is true of many comedians but i think of you as i'm laughing at the way you've delivered it as much as what you're saying so i could see you missing that um so the book is complete when sorry when did you actually finish writing the book book because it came out this past fall. So I finished it like a year prior to that because it took like nine months in production. So yeah, I get, I guess December 2022. 
Okay. So how, yeah. and again, right in the midst <laughs> of a pandemic uh, still then, when do you, do you have a sense of memory? I, I'm sorry. I'm guessing that you've been on stage since, <laughs> since then. Is yeah. That, yeah. I think uh, I started doing shows again in fall of 2022. Okay. So, so it's been Bit over a year since I've yeah come back. Do you have any sense memory of the first one back after the absence? Yeah, I was so nervous, and I think I remember the show was on September 11th, and I I remember addressing oh that where I was like, "What a what a, what a day to make a triumphant return." <laughs> you didn't happen to do your 9/11 sandwich <laughs> joke, did you? I did not. <laughs> probably good. Probably a good call, although. If anyone could pull it off on that day, oh I think it would be gosh. you. The fact that you have a joke. Sorry. I mean, you're not the only I one. I don't but. even remember this joke. Like when Do you I- said it, it rung a very like distant bell, but I, I don't, I have no idea what the joke the, is. At this the, point. I'm, I'm not going to deliver it per se, because I think that would do a disservice to the joke and to you. I will say it appears on your um, album, uh, Just Putting oh, okay. It Out There. Is that correct? Is that what it's called? Yes. Yes. Which came out in 2016, I want to say, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm riffing off the top of my head. But my point is, uh, the joke is simply that uh, you go to order a sandwich and a coffee and the total comes up as uh, 9-11. Oh, oh, I see, I see, I see. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Sorry. Got I'm, it. Now I'm explaining a joke to the uh, writer of the joke. And no, I, feel okay. I, I honestly, yeah, I don't know what that says about me, but I forgot I wrote this joke. <laughs> Never forget is actually part of the joke uh, <laughs> exactly. in, in that so bit. So it's truly sorry. ironic. <laughs> okay, so you were nervous, uh, but you got through it. And you, have you been playing, uh, performing constantly since then? Yeah, I feel like I really, I mean, I, I would say it almost encouraged me to take more breaks and remember that, like, you I think the fear as a stand-up sometimes is like if you go away, everyone's going to forget about you or whatever it is. But I think for me, it really rekindled like why I enjoy doing it and what I enjoy about writing about my life. And and so I think it was pretty invaluable. Yeah. I feel like I've been talking about this ad nauseum for 10 years and I'm even sick of it. But I'm going to quickly ask you, since you took a break from the mm-hmm. from the forum – uh, I don't know. Stand-up comedy f- still feels in a really strange place for me right now, just given how yeah. many um, iconic comedians seem to be, I don't know, uh, going rogue, I guess. I don't know what the right word is, but they're really disappointing us constantly. And you took a break, mm. uh, I think, right in the heart of that. Um, yeah. is the. V- I guess I just want to ask you as kind of a performer, you're a firsthand witness to it. Um, I know you don't maybe run in the same circles as some of these more egregious people, but what is your sort of vibe of the perception of comedy right now? Because I can't seem to get through a news cycle without hearing that some comedian did or said something problematic and shitty. And uh, Yeah, I mean, the weirdly to me, it just feels like, and this might just be symptomatic of what the internet has done to a lot of spaces, but it's just... I think made more maybe like hyper niche or maybe polarized like markets more starkly where it's like, I'll, I'll go to one show and, and I'll know that if anyone did any material remotely approaching like some of the Netflix specials you see now, they would be, there wouldn't be a single laugh. And then, you know, if I went to like a different space, it would be entirely the opposite. So I think there's just become this, 
starker divide in terms of where people fall on these things. And it's unfortunate because I think with not that every comedian should be funny to every person, but I do think there's less of an acceptance of like, you might still like some things this person has to say rather than this person is just like, I cannot even acknowledge them because they're so like, yeah. Do you think comedy for whatever woke or whatever? Yeah. Like is comedy more resistant to like genre signifiers or something? Like you just made a good point. Like Mm. if I went to, I like music and I like movies, but there's certain kind of music and certain kind of movies I don't like. And I, and I, and I wouldn't understand them if I was presented with them. And I feel like comedy maybe, and I might be wrong about this is kind of all considered one thing. It's not like yes. you're listening to metal and folk music. You'd be like, hey, metal guy, do you want to go to the folk music show? Well, no, I don't. I don't like yeah. that. But am I wrong? Do you feel like comedy is unfairly like it's just comedy? And Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I think it's like still trying to figure out itself in terms of like, because, you know, if you go to a showcase show, it's going to be a bunch of different styles yeah. and people with different POVs. And it's like, Maybe that's okay, but it is kind of a grab bag. It would be going to like a music open mic night. You know, it's like everyone might be totally different from each other. But I think it's kind of funny that we expect the crowd to immediately like get every person the same way. Have you like sometimes uh, I haven't really seen it lately, but I think it's like the comedy store or various comedy club uh, Twitter accounts would be like coming up next. And I would look at the list of comedians and I'd be like, oh, Two people I love. Oh my God. They got to share the stage with that guy. And I, that sucks. <laughs> and I, I actually never thought of that. Like what? And that's a general room. So basically it's like everyone's doing 15 minutes and they're cycling through. Sorry. I've, I've never been to the comedy store. You, you performed at the thing, that place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I don't regularly perform there, but yeah, I've been, I've been before. Am I capturing this right? It's, it's like, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a pretty, it's pretty yeah. big grab bag. It'll just be like, you know, t- eight to 10 comedians doing 15 minutes each, but pretty wide yeah. swath of, yeah. Well, different. you mentioned like the Netflix special for the, com- the one of these comedians, that's their crap. So whatever they say, they might get a, you know, a applause break. Have you yeah. been in situations like that one I'm describing at a, a club show where that's same kind of comedian? Oh my gosh, sorry. I just realized that I had, I had did. To- I had to hop onto another interview. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I didn't know that. I no, didn't know that's I okay. Well, Aparna, thank you so much for making time <laughs> for being on the show. I know you got to go. We're in a little bit of a rush here. Uh, if we can, uh, oh, sorry, if people want to follow you or whatever, keep tabs on you. Mm-hmm. Where would you like to direct them? I would say moderately active on Instagram at Aparnapkin, but I also have a Substack which you can subscribe to. It's just aparna.substack.com. Okay, cool. Well, I'll yeah. I'll share links for people in the show notes. Uh, I don't know. Do you want to? What if we went out on a bit from your comedy? Do you disavow your 2016 comedy album, or is there something we could go out on? You can go out on one as long as you're not making me tell it, because clearly I don't remember anything. <laughs> Maybe we'll go to the one I uh, alluded to. We'll go to that now and uh, let people have a a sense of your work. And uh, I just want to say I, it was a real thrill to get to to chat with you for uh, this. Uh, yeah, first. thanks for the lovely yeah. chat. Sorry to leave so abruptly. No, that's fine. These things happen to me quite often. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> best of luck with your show in Vancouver and everything else. And I hope we talk thank again soon someday. Yeah, thank you so much. Take it easy. 
I do. I, I'm easily moved by food. I have a lot of opinions about it. For example, uh, don't you think any pizza can be a personal one if you cry while you eat it? Uh, sorry to go political right away. But that is how I feel. Also, uh, heads up to my friends. I've been calling pizza yoga for months now. So... My sacred circle. <laughs> I actually, I ate out for dinner a couple of nights ago and I ordered dessert, you know, because I'm worth it. And I noticed there was fresh fruit as an option on the dessert menu. Whenever there's fruit as an option on the dessert menu, it feels like a multiple choice question where it's the one option you can throw out right away, you know? You're like, well, I know what you I studied, you know. I've been studying for this test my whole life. Like, if the who wants to be a millionaire question was just something like, which of these infamous dictators launched a world war? A, Kim Jong-il. B, Adolf Hitler. C, Pol Pot. D, fruit. It's not fruit. Never gonna be the fruit. <laughs> Keep wishing, fruit. <laughs> Hang in there. It's a fruit joke. Hang in there. <laughs> I like to write for everyone. Uh, somewhere a baby just smiled and didn't know why. <laughs> Powerful. Once I went to a cafe and I ordered a sandwich and a coffee. I don't know if anyone knows what that's like. Uh, I went to the cashier and he was just like, 9-11. <laughs> what? Excuse me? Good morning to you too, you know? And then he was just like, no, that's your total, 9-11. That should not be allowed to be a total anymore. First of all, it's too much. <laughs> I don't have that kind of money. I feel like instead of a total button on the register, there was just a button that was like, boom everyone out immediately. Reference a national tragedy from which we'll never fully heal. Do it, Roger. You're working a double. Just all on one button. Roger's like, yeah, I found my button. Roger wins today. I feel like whenever the total's gonna be 9-11, there should be an automatic override in the system where it just changes to something like, 420, yay! Everyone's having a good time. Here's another sandwich for later. Never forget mustard. Take the edge off. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From her hilarious stand-up album, Just Putting It Out There, that was Aparna Nancherla with Thought on Sustenance, and that was the bit we went out on as we had to uh, hastily uh, wrap up that conversation. Uh, we I, This all happened, as you heard us say there, or me try to say, this all happened very last minute, and I'm glad it happened. Uh, I, I've long wanted to talk to Aparna. I've been a fan. So yeah, Aparna, thank you so much for making time for me if you're hearing this at this point in your life and ours. Uh, it really meant a lot, and maybe we'll talk again sometime. And uh, the book, as I'm speaking to you, the book is en route. I'm getting the book, so I'm a man of my word. It's on its way here. So anyway, I can't wait to read that book. Uh, Aparna appeared on this, the 837th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available just about wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you want to learn more about the show uh, or find episodes that you can't on your podcast platform uh, and learn about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can follow or like me and Creative Control on various social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, Threads. Uh, there's a YouTube channel. There's all sorts of things. There's also a Linktree link in the show notes. It's uh, I think it says uh, follow Vish online. So click on that if you want to engage, engage with me there. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain my work and me. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content like ad-free episodes, ad and promo-free episodes, uh, which come out earlier than they do for the general public. Uh, and if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt and other perks, explore the Patreon page if you, if you don't mind. The $6 thing gets you some stuff. The $10 a month tier uh, gets you uh, potential prizes. You get entered into draws for really cool prize packs and all sorts of things. So again, if you can support me and my work, I would obviously greatly appreciate it. This is my primary source of income now. So please visit patreon.com slash creative control today and donate if you can. Thank you. Also want to thank uh, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, all fine independent businesses who offer in-kind support for this show. Also want to thank my dear pal Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music he makes on this show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Aparna Nancherla. I hope you enjoyed it and will explore her work if you're unfamiliar with it she's wonderful she's hilarious she's so wise and smart i was i'm over the moon that she was on the show and i hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and follow it and tell your friends all about it and that is it i'm gonna go pick up my kids from school i will talk to you very soon bye for now
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.